Welcome to Fast Asleep. And you, yeah, you, you are very brave. You were with us for part one of the garden party, and you came back for part two, despite that song. Yeah, that is dedication. Um, we couldn't find the melody for that song. Could you tell? <laughs> we promise. There are no songs in part two. Ooh, there is a dead body, though. Oops, forget I said that. Um, now, before we start, just a bit about Catherine Mansfield. Actually, Catherine Mansfield Beecham. She was born in beautiful Wellington, New Zealand. And though she lived in England for a time, she came back to New Zealand to begin her short story writing. Oh, she had romantic relationships with both men and women. She was married twice. She had a miscarriage during her first marriage. Oh, and sadly, she died of tuberculosis at the very young age of 34. Today, schools have buildings named after her. In France, there's a street named in Miss Mansfield's honor. Awards and competitions also boast her name. When you visit New Zealand, oh, and you know you want to, you're going to not want to miss her birthplace in Thorndon, Wellington. You can tour her home, lush gardens, and a surrounding park that have all been dedicated to the prominent modernist writer, Catherine Mansfield. All right, all right, I know. Let's tuck in, everybody, and enjoy the conclusion of The Garden Party. Josie! Laura caught hold of her sister's sleeve and dragged her through the kitchen to the other side of the green baize door. There she paused and leaned against it. Josie, she said, horrified. However are we going to stop everything? Stop everything? Laura, cried Josie in astonishment. What do you mean? We'll stop the garden party, of course. Why did Josie pretend? But Josie was still more amazed. Stop the garden party. My dear Laura, don't be so absurd. Of course we can't do anything of the kind, and nobody expects us to. Oh, don't be so extravagant. Well, we can't possibly have a garden party with a man dead just outside our front gate. Oh, that really was extravagant, for the little cottages were in a lane to themselves at the very bottom of a steep rise that led up to the house. Why, a broad road ran between. True, they were far too near. Oh, and they were the greatest possible eyesore, and they had no right to be in that neighborhood at all. They were little mean dwellings, painted a chocolate brown. In the garden patches, there was nothing but cabbage stalks, sick hens, and tomato cans. The very smoke coming out of their chimneys was poverty-stricken, little rags and shreds of smoke. So, unlike the great 
silvery plumes that uncurled from the Sheridan's chimneys. Washerwomen lived in the lane. Oh, and sweeps and a cobbler and a man whose house front was studded all over with minute bird cages. Children, oh, children swarmed. When the Sheridans were little, oh, they were forbidden to set foot there because of the revolting language and of, well, what they might catch. But since they were grown up, Laura and Laurie, on their prowls sometimes, walked through. Oh, it was disgusting and sordid. They came out with a shudder. But still, one must go everywhere, and one must see everything. So, through they went. And just think of what the band would sound like to that poor woman, said Laura. Oh, Laura. Josie began to be seriously annoyed. If you're going to stop a band playing every time someone has an accident, you'll lead a very strenuous life. I'm every bit as sorry about it as you. I feel just as sympathetic. And then her eyes hardened. She looked at her sister just as she used to when they were little and fighting together. You won't bring a drunken workman back to life by being sentimental, she said softly. Drunk? Why, who said he was drunk? Laura turned furiously on Josie. She said, just as they had used to say on those occasions, I'm going straight up to tell mother. Oh, do, dear, cooed Josie. Mother, can I come into your room? Laura turned the big glass doorknob. Oh, of course, child. Why, what's the matter? Well, what's given you such a color? And Mrs. Sheridan turned round from her dressing table. She was trying on a new hat. Mother, a man's been killed, began Laura. <gasps> Not in the garden, interrupted her mother. No, no. Oh, what a fright you gave me, Mrs. Sheridan sighed with relief and took off the big hat and held it on her knees. Uh, but listen, mother, said Laura, breathless, half choking. She told the dreadful story. Of course, we can't have our party, can we? She pleaded. The band and everybody arriving. Why, they'd hear us, mother. Why, they're nearly neighbors. To Laura's astonishment, her mother behaved just like Josie. It was harder to bear because, well, she seemed amused. She refused to take Laura seriously. But, my dear child, use your common sense. It's only by accident we've heard of it. If someone had died there normally, and I can't understand how they keep alive in those pokey little holes, we should still be having our party, shouldn't we? Well, Laura had to say yes to that. 
but she felt it was all wrong. She sat down on her mother's sofa and pinched the cushion frill. Mother, isn't it terribly heartless of us? She asked. Oh, darling, Mrs. Sheridan got up and came over to her, carrying the hat. Before Laura could stop her, she had popped it on. Oh, my child, said her mother. The hat is yours. Why, look, it's made for you. It's much too young for me. I have never seen you look such a picture. Just look at yourself. And she held up her hand mirror. But mother, Laura began again. She couldn't look at herself. She turned aside. This time, Mrs. Sheridan lost patience, just as Josie had done. You are being very absurd, Laura, she said coldly. People like that don't expect sacrifices from us. And it's not very sympathetic to spoil everybody's enjoyment, as you're doing now. I don't understand, said Laura, and she walked quickly out of the room into her own bedroom. Oh, and there, quite by chance, the first thing she saw was this charming girl in the mirror, in her black hat trimmed with gold daisies and, oh, a long black velvet ribbon. When never had she imagined she could look like that. Is mother right? She thought. And now, she hoped her mother was right. Hmm, am I being extravagant? Perhaps it was extravagant. Just for a moment, she had another glimpse of that poor woman and those little children and and the body being carried into the house. But it all seemed blurred, unreal, like a picture in the newspaper. Uh... I'll remember it again after the party's over, she decided. And somehow that seemed quite the best plan. Lunch was over by half past one. By half past two, they were all ready for the fray. The green-coated band had arrived and was established in a corner of the tennis court. Oh, my dear, trilled Kitty Maitland. Aren't they too like frogs for words? Oh, you ought to have arranged them round the pond (laughs) with the conductor in the middle on a leaf. Laurie arrived and hailed them on his way to dress. At the sight of him, Laura remembered the accident again. She wanted to tell him. If Laurie agreed with the others, uh, then it was bound to be all right. And she followed him into the hall. Lori! Hello! He was halfway upstairs, but when he turned round and saw Laura, he suddenly puffed out his cheeks and goggled his eyes at her. Oh, my word, Laura, you do look stunning, said Lori. What an absolutely topping hat, Laura said faintly. Oh, is it? and smiled up at Lori, and didn't tell him, after all. Soon, 
After that, people began coming in streams. The band struck up. The hired waiters ran from the house to the marquee. Wherever you looked, there were couples strolling, bending to the flowers, greeting, moving on over the lawn. They were like bright birds that had alighted in the Sheridan's garden for this one afternoon on their way to where? Oh, what happiness it is to be with people who all are happy to press hands, press cheeks, smile into eyes. Oh, darling Laura, how well you look. Oh, what a becoming hat, child. <gasps> Laura, you look quite Spanish. <gasps> I've never seen you look so striking. And Laura, glowing, answered softly, Have you had tea? <gasps> Won't you like an ice? The passion fruit ices really are rather special. She ran to her father and begged him, Daddy, darling, can't the band have something to drink? And the perfect afternoon slowly ripened, slowly faded, slowly its petals closed. Never a more delightful garden party. The greatest success, quite the most. Laura helped her mother with the goodbyes. They stood side by side in the porch till it was all over. All over, all over. Thank heaven, said Mrs. Sheridan. Round up the others, Laura. Let's go and have some fresh coffee. I'm exhausted. Yes, it's been very successful, but Oh, these parties, these parties. Why will you children insist on giving parties? And they, all of them, sat down in the deserted marquee. Have a sandwich, Daddy dear. I wrote the flag. Thanks. Mr. Sheridan took a bite, and the sandwich was gone. He took another. I suppose you didn't hear of a beastly accident that happened today, he said. Oh, my dear, said Mrs. Sheridan, holding up her hand. We did. It nearly ruined the party. Laura insisted we should put it off. Oh, mother. Laura didn't want to be teased about it. Well, it was a horrible affair all the same, said Mr. Sheridan. The chap was married, too, lived just below in the lane, and leaves a wife and half a dozen kitties, so they say. An awkward little silence fell. Mrs. Sheridan fidgeted with her cup. Really, it was very tactless of father. Suddenly, she looked up. There, on the table, were all those sandwiches, cakes, puffs, all uneaten, all going to be wasted. She had one of her brilliant ideas. I know, she said. Let's make up a basket. Let's send that poor creature some of this perfectly good food. At any rate, it will be the greatest treat for the children. Don't you agree? And she's sure to have neighbors calling in and so on. What a point to have it all ready prepared. Laura, 
She jumped up. Get me the big basket out of the stairs cupboard. Oh, but, Mother, do you, do you really think it's a good idea? said Laura. Again, how curious. She seemed to be different from them all. To take scraps from their party? Would the poor woman really like that? Of course! Oh, what's the matter with you today? An hour or two ago, you were insisting on us being sympathetic, and now, oh well, Laura ran for the basket. It was filled, for it was heaped, by her mother. Now you take it yourself, darlings, she said. Run down just as you are. No, wait, take the Aram lilies, too. People of that class are so impressed by Aram lilies. Ah, uh, the stems will ruin her lace frock, said practical Josie. Oh, so they would, and just in time. Only the basket, then, and Laura, her mother, followed her out of the marquee. Don't on any account. What, mother? No, better not put such ideas into the child's head. Ah, uh, nothing. Run along. It was just growing dusky as Laura shut their garden gates. A big dog ran by like a shadow. The road gleamed white, and down below, in the hollow, the little cottages were in deep shade. How quiet it seemed after the afternoon. Here, she was going down the hill to somewhere where a man lay dead, and she couldn't realize it. Why couldn't she? She stopped a minute, and it seemed to her that kisses and voices and tinkling spoons and laughter, the smell of crushed grass were somehow inside her. She had no room for anything else. How strange. She looked up at the pale sky, and all she thought was, yes, it was the most successful party. Now, the broad road was crossed. The lane began, smoky and dark. Women in shawls and men's tweed caps hurried by. Men hung over the palings. The children played in the doorways. A low hum came from the mean little cottages. In some of them, there was a flicker of light, and a shadow, crab-like, moved across the window. Laura bent her head and hurried on. She wished now she had put on a coat. How her frock shone, and the big hat with the velvet streamer. If only it was another hat. Were the people looking at her? They must be. It was a mistake to have come. She knew all along it was a mistake. Should she go back even now? Oh, no, too late. This was the house. It must be. A dark knot of people stood outside. Beside the gate, an old, old woman with a crutch sat in a chair watching. She had her feet on a newspaper. The voices stopped as Laura drew near. The group parted. 
It was as though she was expected, as though they had known she was coming here. Laura was terribly nervous. Tossing the velvet ribbon over her shoulder, she said to a woman standing by, Is this Mrs. Scott's house? And the woman, smiling queerly, said, It is, my lass. Oh, to be away from this. She actually said, Help me, God, as she walked up the tiny path and knocked to be away from those staring eyes or to be covered up in anything, one of those women's shawls even. Well, I'm, I'll just leave the basket and go, she decided. I shan't even wait for it to be emptied. And then the door opened. A little woman in black showed in the gloom. Laura said, Are you Mrs. Scott? But to her horror, the woman answered, Oh, walk in, please, miss. And she was shut in the passage. Oh, no, said Laura. I don't want to come in. I only want to leave this basket mother sent. But the little woman in the gloomy passage seemed not to have heard her. Step this way, please, miss, she said in an oily voice. And Laura followed her. She found herself in a wretched little low kitchen, lighted by a smoky lamp. There was a woman sitting before the fire. Em, said the little creature who had let her in. Em, it's a young lady. She turned to Laura. She said meaningly, I'm her sister, miss. You'll excuse her, won't you? Oh, uh, but of course, said Laura. Please, please don't disturb her. I only want to leave. But at that moment, the woman at the fire turned round. Her face puffed up, red, with swollen eyes and swollen lips. Looked terrible. She seemed as though she couldn't understand why Laura was there. What did it mean? Why was this stranger standing in the kitchen with a basket? What was it all about? And the poor face puckered up again. Oh, all right, my dear, said the other. I'll thank the young lady. And again she began. You'll excuse her, miss, I'm sure. And her face swollen too, tried an oily smile. Laura only wanted to get out, to get away. She was back in the passage, the door opened, she walked straight through into the, oh, the bedroom, where the dead man was lying. You'd like a look at him, wouldn't you? said Em's sister, and she brushed past Laura over to the bed. Don't be afraid, my lass. And now her voice sounded fond and sly, and fondly she drew down the sheet. He looks a picture. There's nothing to show. Come along, my dear.
Laura came. There lay a young man, fast asleep, sleeping so soundly, so deeply, that he was far, far away from them both. Oh, so remote, so peaceful. He was dreaming. Never wake him up again. His head was sunk in the pillow. His eyes were closed. They were blind under the closed eyelids. He was given up to his dream. What did garden parties and baskets and lace frocks matter to him? He was far, far from all those things. He was wonderful, beautiful. While they were laughing and while the band was playing, this marvel had come to the lane. Happy, happy, all is well said that sleeping face. This is just as it should be. I am content. But all the same, you had to cry. And she couldn't go out of the room without saying something to him. Laura gave a loud, childish sob forgive my hat she said and this time she didn't wait for Anne's sister she found her way out of the door down the path past all those dark people at the corner of the lane she met Laurie Laurie stepped out of the shadow is that you Laura yes mother was getting anxious was it all right Yes, quite. Oh, Lori. She took his arm. She pressed up against him. I say you're not crying, are you? Asked her brother. Laura shook her head. She was. Lori put his arm round her shoulder. Oh, now, don't cry, he said in his warm, loving voice. Was it awful? No, sobbed Laura. <laughs> It was simply marvelous. But, Laurie, she stopped and she looked at her brother. Isn't, isn't life, she stammered, isn't life, but what life was, she, she just couldn't explain. No matter, he quite understood. Isn't it, isn't it, darling? said Laurie. Good night.